what is up rugby fans welcome back to another episode of the SAF pod sorry we weren't around last week but believe it or not we don't do this full time and life happens we're back this week though with a class episode as we look ahead to a potentially world cup defining match and we're also joined by a very cool guest before then i'd like to welcome in the tweedledee to my tweedledum stakes how are we you know what you are my eraser to my pencil or my sharpness <laughs> my pencil. i don't know that's the best i could come up with but what is up guys uh happy to be here as always as i say every single episode and i hope you guys have been enjoying every single episode so far we definitely moving along slowly but surely but as scott said not our full-time job <laughs> but we do enjoy this nonetheless and trying to provide uh the the minimal knowledge we have about rugby but more uh providing a couple smiles but yeah i've been good man how you been mate yeah really good work's been work's been tough it's been a long weekend or a long week i had quite a long weekend i was over in newcastle for for a mate stag do so it took me a while to recover from that but it's okay we're feeling fresh or fresh as can be um just trying to get some h2o in trying to exercise this week so i don't turn into a fatty no you have to bro well well to be fair it's, it's probably been a while since we've had this conversation but uh this can be called a segment where we um you know safapod aa meeting so how has your drinking been going apart from this last weekend bro i genuinely looked at hannah this week and i was like i need to stop like it wasn't even like i need to calm down it was just i need to stop because this is getting out of hand and i i said to myself that i'd only do i'd only drink twice a week at most and last week i drank about five times out of the seven days so i just sort myself out i will say over the last three months i've probably had three nights where i've gone a little bit raucous but uh for the most part it's just pretty much been been prim and proper wine evenings where you know i mean you 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 never really end up at a club after you know a bottle of vino or something like that you know so i've been trying to steer clear of the beers and the hard liquor and so far so good man not uh not waking up in the morning with a sore headache and a uh, empty wallet so i've been waking up with smiles recently brew we both know what your raucous nights look like and i've got i've got a video i could play on the pod but i'm not going to which one's that that would that would expose you the pre-skulk video that you sent me that would heavily we won't won't be putting that into the public public domain no you don't you don't send me enough and that's not fair because this is like a friendship is a two-way street scott it's not a one-way street if i'm sending you videos i expect videos back because i need some ammo bro don't worry i'll maybe not <laughs> oh actually friday this week might be might be quite something um so yeah i'll i'll, I'll see what i can do i'll, I'll your well, your wish is is my command i'm expecting it because i do have the login details for the tiktok so i'm going to be posting that video <laughs> that is okay by me <laughs> now getting on to, to the rugby what the people are really here for brief look at the 33-man squad that was announced by the box before we look at this weekend just want to kind of touch on that there are a few surprise selections for me steegs i think the selection of dion free as the backup hooker four nines threw me a little bit and then obviously the exclusions of lert lacanio pollard those are unavoidable and 
maybe change the bot coaches selections. Is there anyone that you think missed out or anyone you think is maybe slightly lucky to be there? I think um, it, when I watched it, it was obviously before I knew about the injuries and that. So when when I saw like Lukanyu Am wasn't part of it, I was like, what the hell is going on? But then obviously I found out there was injuries and everything like that. Obviously, as you said, the Dion Paris was initially at first glance, you sort of think like, oh, wow, you know, but at the end of the day, you still have Joseph Weber there just in case there is an injury, you know. Um, so we still have two hookers. We've got obviously Dion Free there as well. And I mean, he's just exactly like we sort of get into with uh, with our guest today is the, the versatility aspect in rugby nowadays is so important. And I mean, that's what's going to get you the nod these days when it's, you know, you versus another player. Can you play more, more than one position? Obviously, a lot of scrum offs, but I think at the end of the day, a lot of them as well, can play multiple positions. You know, you have a guy like Faf as well that can play multiple positions. It's it's a good side at the end of the day. It's really good. And we can be confident and I hope that, uh, you know, Australia was a taste of what we could accomplish. And maybe the other games are just, you know, trial and error with just trying different players' arts and positions and working those sort of kinks out. And hopefully, yeah, there's a bit of a, a sleeve, a card up the sleeve. I do wonder whether or not they're going to play Quibus and Grant together and against the All Blacks next week and and try that kind of combination out, which would be quite interesting. Um, I wonder if they're trying to almost pair scrum halves up together to to try and kind of have them roll off each other and have something different coming off the bench because Jaden Hendricks is slightly similar to Fuff, I'd say. Not a carbon copy, but slightly similar in terms of box kicking, etc. And we saw him shine last year, so it'll be good to to see what he does this year. I think that one of the things I would say is if Luit Diaga was fit, then it would have been a straight battle between Ori and Klein. And you do wonder if Klein would have won that battle purely out of the purely for the reason that he could probably cover more of your tight head lock than what Ori could. And we've then got a slightly more like-for-like replacement for Etzebeth. Now, Pollard looks to be training with the box this week. I saw saw photos of him on the field, and he'll likely be ready by the time of the Scotland game. Should they have included him? Because having had time to, to reflect on it, I actually do really like the idea of only taking players who are fit to the World Cup rather than hoping on a player becoming fit during the, the World Cup kind of group stages. Yeah, I, I definitely do agree with it. Obviously, Sio Khaleesi is a, a, a different story as a whole. Obviously, he's starting now, which will be, you know, fingers crossed he's, he is as healthy as they sort of say. Um, I definitely tend to agree with you because at the end of the day, if Pollard gets injured, then you're sort of utilizing this other player and that. And uh, he, he's still got years ahead of him. You know what I mean? There's There's no point sort of risking injuries for guys and that you know especially if it's a a consistent niggle that keeps coming back and an injury that keeps coming back so at the end of the day it sort of gives him this off time he doesn't have to push so hard because he is just you know sort of those the, the, the backup player that if we do get an injury then he possibly is fit enough to sort of come back into the side and that so I think, you know, I, I really, you know, the, the the excited side of me wanted to see um, Pollard in the, the squad no matter what. But I think the more sensible side is just like, you know what, just just put him on the side, 
try and get him fit and don't get him on the, in the in game time before the World Cup and leading up to the World Cup and sort of have him there as a as a backup plan and worst case scenario we get an injury and he has to come in and that ways maybe not fully fit or or something like that. Absolutely, I think it's quite interesting. I really like the fact that they've almost given Marnie Lubbock the keys to the box and gone, here you go, this is you. A, a bit like what John Dobson has done with them at the Stormers and said, look, this is now your baby. We trust you. We want you to lead this team and we've got faith in you. That is obviously if they decide to start him come the first game of the World Cup. I saw a really interesting stat that something like 10% of players who go to or are in a Rugby World Cup squad get injured. And I think the likes of Jesse Creel getting injured during the last World Cup and kind of Damien Willems are having to get slotted in. If we have an injury in the back line, I think it's highly likely that Pollard will become the replacement. Obviously, he is now back training. So he's doing those return to play protocols. However, the Kanye arm's a bit of a different story. He is still currently injured, so he's not even rehabbing yet. He's just waiting. He's going through that kind of healing process as it stands, which is unfortunate. The one thing that I really want to see from Lubbock this weekend is a consistent boot. I really want to see him kick those points because I think once he starts doing that, the, the matches where he's kicking well seem to be the matches where he's got a lot of confidence. No, exactly, 100%. And I think... Exactly that is if they they sort of add Pollard and and a slightly injured Pollard to the side, it's sort of just, you know, hey, Marnie, we don't exactly trust you. You know, this sort of shows a lot of faith in Marnie Lubbock. And I mean, you you, you can definitely see as this whole um, sort of lead up to the World Cup, all these matches and that you can just see him grow at such a rapid rate in terms of, you know, those big match um, temperament moments and stuff like that you know and yeah he just he just really needs to be on song with his boot at the end of the day he's been so good with the stormers you know i'm pretty sure top point scorer in in urc and he's he's just been so solid and we just need to see him play the way he does for for the stormers and and his, his general play that's what he's doing his cross kicks and just just his um his spatial awareness and and the the, the visibility he has with regards to you know um, popping those kicks over and that is just brilliant. He just needs to get that radar pinpoint with his um, kicks for conversions and penalties, and then I think I think we're looking very very strong. Talking of quality fly halves, we're stoked to be joined by Rassing ninety two fly half Perpignan's top point scorer last year, an all round nice guy, Tristan Tedder. Tristan, how are we? We're all good. Um, happy that preseason is finally over. Um, been super, super tough. Obviously, it's it's tough only having a four-week preseason and getting back into games. But looking forward to this weekend. We've got our first proper official game of the season. So excited, we can say. Yeah, and I mean, you've just mentioned it there, and I, I obviously mentioned it too. You've just joined Racing 92, where you've already been partnered by your childhood friend, James Hall, and you also have... Springwalk skipper Sia Khaleesi coming along post World Cup. How brutal was that preseason? Was it just completely intense, all out cardio? Because I know the the French don't necessarily enjoy their running. No, definitely coming out of a four week holiday, 
where obviously I think the season's so long, we don't do anything. It's really just to sit back, relax. I know some guys obviously go and keep trying to keep fit and do training, but the season's just so long that I end up just not doing anything. So coming back, obviously a bit nervous for day one, which is actually quite cool with racing. Now I'm changing clubs and everything. Um, they sort of eased all the new players into into the club. Um, very welcoming, super friendly. But the first week, uh, we actually only started on a Wednesday. Uh, so Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, we just eased into it more rugby as opposed to fitness and running, all that stuff. It probably helped us out because going from zero to 100 really quickly can be dangerous as a player, especially coming four weeks off four weeks holiday but yeah so from the second week monday it was all out running watt bikes in the gym uh with racing they've got world-class facilities they've got their own high altitude chamber um watt bikes in there rowing in there running out in the rugby field gym sessions were intense start the day at what nine to nine nine o'clock meeting finish up by hoppers four or five o'clock get back home eat some foods on the couch and you just don't end up moving for the rest of the evening <laughs> Uh, it sounds like my day, but I, I have no excuse during the day to be doing that, to be honest. Uh, now, the coaching lineup at Racing 92 is, it's nuts in a word. You've got Stuart Lancaster, who's obviously just joined as, as head coach. You've then got Freddie Michelak, which some Sharks fans might know. And then you've also got Joe Rococo, who's obviously an absolute legend of the game. What have they been like as a, as a coaching group and, and what's it been like getting to know them? It's quite a strange one because obviously growing up, you, you've seen these guys play and they're world-class stars, stars in the rugby world, you could say. Um, everyone knows who they are. Having them coach you and you be, being able to crack a few jokes with them every now and then, sometimes they get a bit serious. It's quite something like you have to really pinch yourself sometimes and say like, geez, I'm, I'm with these legends of the game. But just learning from them, taking all the experience in, in, in certain situations, um, they often say now that rugby today isn't the same as what it used to be. So even for them, they're learning and they're trying to understand the new game. So we're saw, sort of all going down this path together. But obviously, they've got X amounts of international caps. They've all won Super Rugby titles, Top 14 titles, Curry Cup titles, which a lot of us haven't done, myself included. Um, haven't played in international rugby either. But so just trying to ask these guys questions and take as much information from them as possible is the key to really sort of just accelerate your experience and understanding of the game. Yeah, that sounds that sounds super interesting. And kind of talking about stars of the game, one person who left Racing 92 last year, who, whose boots you've got to fill this year is, is Finn Russell. What's that been like? And do you feel like there's any pressure on your shoulders? No, I don't think there's any pressure. Look, Finn's obviously... A great player, world-renowned. He's already killing it with Scotland, um, head and shoulders above everyone else, and I wish him the best of luck for the World Cup. Um, I played against him a few times, being in the top 14 now. Great guy, funny. Um, but in terms of moving over to racing and Finn leaving, I don't think there's any added pressure to it because, as we said now, there's a new coaching staff come in. So it's sort of from zero for everyone, all the new players, even the, the previous players who've been at the club for years now. And I'm not gonna compare myself to to the likes of Finn because we're just not the same player. And obviously I'm gonna give give my best and try to be my best as well and sort of just see where I can go from there. Um, but obviously I say where I can go from there, but it's it's a team sport. 
Um, so everything for the team, team first, team above, individual ambitions. And so, yeah, we'll see how it goes. When it comes to team sports, it's such a good attitude to have because I think as soon as you start trying to be an individual, it just doesn't gel very well, does it? Now, you started your rugby at the uh, the Sharks or your, your kind of professional career at the Sharks. For those people that don't really know, how did a holiday in Australia lead you to France? It was it was a strange one because I was in Australia for a month. I went to go visit my best friend who just after school, uh, literally just after matric rage, said, look, cheers, guys, I'll see you in a year. And we're sort of all like, what the hell is going on? Eventually, he went over to Australia, and I went to visit him at the end of my first shark season. Not that I got bored, but he was still teaching at school. So I sort of had to do stuff. And I got hold of Brad Thorne, who used to play for New Zealand and all that. He was coaching at the Reds. And I said, look, um, I'm at the Sharks. I'm just here on holiday. Can I come join the Reds for a training session? And he's like, yeah, sure thing, come through. And I went there for two days. And then somehow my agents in South Africa got wind of that. And he was like, why are you training at the Reds? Which sort of led on to the conversation that, um, are there some interest now? They're quite interested. And then he said, well, we'll wait till, you, wait till you come back and then we'll talk about everything. Then I got involved in the Curry Cup qualifiers squad when there was a whole curry cup qualifiers competition and then just for some reason at the same time the the french recruiting guy was in australia when i was there then when i came back to sharks he was in durban and he watched us play against western province lucky for me i had a half decent game and so he had obviously heard about me when i was in australia then now had seen me play in Durban against Western Province and then just sort of contacted me and said, look, we've got an opportunity for you to get over to France. Do you want to come? And first of all, I said, I'm delighted, etc. But I refused. And then about two or three weeks later, I sort of called them back and said, look, is the offer still on the table? Can I accept it? And the rest is history. That's wild. I just think it's so nuts how things kind of line up and you've played for quite a few clubs so you've played for Toulouse, Bayonne, Bézières, Perpignan most recently in both the top 14 and the Pro de Deux. Yeah. What was that kind of journey like? Because I know you've gone through various injuries, various clubs and how did it feel to get those kind of consistent minutes at Perpignan in the last two seasons? Because once you got those consistent minutes under your belt, I know you got quite a few offers from quite a few other clubs as well as Rassing. So clearly people are starting to notice you as they should. Yeah, look, it's definitely everyone's path to become a professional rugby player is different. And I think um, coming from South Africa, especially if I look back now, in South Africa, you want to make it as young as possible. You want to be that guy where you're 18 years, 19 years, first year out of school and you're playing professional rugby. That wasn't the case for me. But I always knew I wanted to become a professional rugby player, no matter how long it took. Um, so I came over to France, obviously. My first season, I was with the Espoirs, so the young team. Absolutely loved my season. Wasn't bothered that I wasn't playing for uh, the senior team. Um, obviously, the goal was there. I played three games for the senior team at the end of the season. Then my second season, I just got injured. I didn't end up playing, as we spoke about the injuries. And then I sort of went on loan I did go on loan to Bayonne, had an awesome season with Bayonne, consistent minutes, um, learned a lot from the other players, the coaching staff as well. And they really taught me, they guided me through um, certain situations and this is what you can think about doing. 
come back on Monday with a few options. So they really got you thinking about it. And then came back to Toulouse for the World Cup. Uh, then after the World Cup, went to Bézier on loan, back and forth between Toulouse, which was quite tough. I'd say it's probably the hardest part of my career because changing three or four times within the same season, different clubs, different systems of play, different calls, I wasn't at my best. Also, I won't, I won't say it was like a depression or anything, but sometimes I just woke up in the morning and I was just like, why am I even going to training? Sort of just questioning myself, is it, re is it really worth it? Do I have what it takes to make it at the top? And then eventually I managed to sign with Perpignan and I had a long sit down with now who have become, they were my coaches, but they still are coaches, but I, could, I can consider them friends now. Um, because I'm not afraid to pick up the phone and just talk to him about anything. And had a long sit down with Patrick Arletters and David Marty. And they just said, look, we know what you're capable of doing. We've seen you play before. Um, obviously, we know these past few seasons have been tough on you. But we're here to help help you get back on the saddle and get back to where you can be and where you want to go to, um, which is awesome. And having that confidence as a player really opens up doors and possibilities for you and just the confidence. And I think... That's what it all is. It's just confidence as a player in yourself and what you believe in, what you're capable of doing. And that's what would just help me through it. And to give you an example, I remember clearly it was the second game of the season, my first season in Perpignan, so 2021-22. Played Beeritz at home. In that week, there was a newspaper article on me, something about like, can he handle the pressure, whatever, this and that. And Patrick just before, literally before the game, at warm-up, came up to me and said, I've read the newspaper article. Don't worry about that stuff. Just do your thing. We trust you. We believe in you. And just have fun. And he literally just said, have fun and don't don't stress about it. And like that Western Province game, lucky for me, I had a half-decent game. And he said, there we go. Just have fun and, and everything will fall into place. And I think just having that confidence really, really boosts you as a player. And, and I've really tried to learn from those experiences and enjoy it as much as possible. And as much as it's a, it's a pressurized job, it is a job at the end of the day but it's also a passion it's what we want to do um, sometimes a lot of players including myself we go through stages where we tend to forget about just having fun and enjoying the moment that, that's such an interesting point because i've always sort of watched sports and you know you see these players that um you know whether they're not getting as much game time or, or something like that they end up going on loans and i've always actually like really thought and been interested at the at the psychology for a player that, you know, goes on loan and goes to so many different teams. Obviously, we just sort of said, you know, you just started um, off at Racing now and it's almost like that first day at school sort of thing. Um, I don't know if this is like probably a, a pretty like vulnerable question, but what were obviously, like like you say, you sort of got out of those, um, those sort of situations where you're feeling down, maybe, um, you know, sort of uh, not really backing yourself in some aspects, but those uh, calls where you get where it's like, you know, you you're going to go on loan or you're going to move clubs uh what 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 are the sort of initial emotions and feelings that a that a player does because obviously sometimes it's uh positive when, when players just aren't getting game time and then a club sort of says hey look here we want you a part of the club but we need you to get more game time so we'll put you on loan and then there's those happy situations but then there's also those like sort of you know bleak situations that you're going on loan what what were your kind of initial um, sort of feelings and and um, yeah, sort of reactions to those sort of calls. Yeah, no, look, it's definitely, it's mixed emotions because it depends on the situation, I think. So for example, if I give um, my first loan to Bayonne, so my second season, as I said, I was injured the whole season. 
And I actually only signed a two-year contract with Toulouse. So being injured the whole season, I was actually a bit nervous that like, this is it, they're going to get rid of me type thing. Um, they then came forward and said, look, we're going to offer you another contract under the conditions that next season you go on loan because you've been injured. Uh, we want you to have game time. We don't want you to play with the young team. They sent me to Bayonne, who was in Pro D2 at the time. Uh, they knew the coach as well, Yannick Brew, who was an ex-Toulouse player, who actually came down to the Sharks this last season and coached at the Sharks. So that was a, a good sort of emotional boost in a way that they, they wanted to keep me on under the condition that I go on loan to learn and, and get fit and strong, etc. So that was I was excited for that. For example, the second loan, I sort of initiated it because it was that World Cup year, actually ended up being the COVID year as well, where all the seasons, all the rugby competitions and stopped midway through season. Um, and I actually said, look, I know next season I'm not really going to, to play, so can I go on loan? And I think in a, in a way I was happy that I went on loan, but also a little bit disappointed myself that I wasn't able to kick on with Toulouse. So that was a little hurdle that you had to get through. Uh, definitely not easy. And then being recalled back within the season, what happened? I was at Bezier, came back to Toulouse for the Autumn Nations Cup, went back to Bezier, and then for the Six Nations, I came back to Toulouse, uh, and then I ended up finishing the season with Bezier. So a lot of chop, chopping and changing, which is definitely tough. Um, and as I said, just me as a player playing in two teams, two different systems wasn't easy and that's sort of where I was questioning myself like do I have what it takes and it's tough and I think a lot of people don't see that side of rugby um, a lot of people just end up seeing what happens on the weekend either a win or a loss or a draw even um, but they don't see what happens behind closed doors and all the training we go through and all the times where for some players we'll play a lot less than others um, and it's tough I've known players who have gone through a whole season who aren't injured and just haven't played, haven't been selected. And you try and talk to them about it. And I think there's that stigma where rugby players are tough guys and everything, which is true. Like you have to be tough to play the sport. But if you go into the emotional side of it, it's it's definitely not easy. Um, it's a cutthroat sport where you're either going to make it or you're not. And it just depends on the team and the, coachings, the, the, the coaches because a coach can make or break your career He's either going to like you or he's not going to like you. And if that's the reason, well, then he's going to select you and he's not going to select you, um, which is something I've had to learn along the way as well. But yeah, it's, especially when you realize that for certain players, you try to be a bit more sympathetic towards them, um, try to talk to them and go out, grab a coffee or a beer or invite them over for lunch, whatever. So it's, it's a tough situation, but it's, it's a part of the game and everything. Yeah, I think exactly that. Like, I mean, you don't you don't have to comment on this one, but Scott and I got into a conversation the other day about referees and you know protecting the referees and stuff, you know. And then my my argument was like, well, we don't protect the players. Like, they sort of uh, headline if they don't do well, and there's all this pressure on them and stuff. So it's like there's there's no difference between players and referees. You know what I mean? You you're all sportsmen at the end of the day. 
And even with exactly what you say sort of thing, you're sort of seen as these superheroes that it's like, no, you guys are the macho men, like you should be fine and stuff. But yeah, exactly like you say, the reality is even though you're you're a sportsman and, and you're living this like dream of playing rugby for a living, you know, any person who's just working a nine to five can sort of take exactly what you're saying, which is really, really great that, hey, everyone goes through this stuff, no matter what career path you're taking. The main thing is exactly like you say, and what, what I've taken out of it is, man, guys, guys just need to speak up, man, and just talk to each other and stuff like that. Like my mates and I always say like, you know, we don't necessarily go and, you know, have pamper parties and talk about our shit, but we'll say, oh, let's just go for a surf. And then that's the blanket term for knowledge. Yeah, exactly. Sort of thing. <laughs> uh, I, I totally agree. And look, I'm, I'm not going to say it's just just other players. I've, I've been in the same situation as, mm. uh, as well, where I've just completely closed myself off. Like, everyone, how are you going? No, I'm fine. I'm all good. I'm all good. I'm all good. But you're just lying to yourself. And, yeah. and it's... It's good in a way where players realize that they actually need to talk to someone. And I've only just started doing that as well. So that's why I'm not afraid to like try and talk about it. So yeah, we have to have yeah, to talk exactly. about it. It's that like fine balancing act of being able to be in control of your emotions and, you know, be that sort of like calm duck above water, but underneath your flippers are going crazy to keep that calm. But also just being like, hey, look, yeah, I can like take a hand if it's given to me and stuff like that, man. It's really, really cool. No, yeah, exactly. Couldn't agree more. Yeah, I think it's important to check in on your friends. And I heard something really interesting the other day that was like, if you're asking your mate, how are you doing? When they answer you, make sure to ask them again, because usually the second time it'll be a different response. So, yeah. I'll have to try that. That's, that's quite good. <laughs> now, talking about friends, I mentioned you're being joined by Sia Khaleesi post-World Cup, and you've been been open about what a fan of his you are, so I'm sure you're keen for that. But the real person I'm really interested in or wanted to ask about is your mate, James Hall, that I mentioned earlier. Has it been good training with, with James? And uh, what do you think his dad's new yearly message is going to be? Because you guys are finally playing together again. <laughs> That's very funny, actually. It's been awesome being being with James again, and he helped me move into my new apartment because he actually lives just up the road. So that's that's pretty cool. Him and his fiance Shannon have been have been awesome helping me move in and just sort of get to know Paris, the city, the the place to go to, where's a good little restaurant or brunch place, coffee shop to go to. It's a very big city, and it can be a bit overwhelming, which was not a fear of mine, but bit nervous going from a small city like Perpignan to one of the biggest cities in the world. Um, so a bit nerve wracking, but it's been awesome training with James back in the gym, back on the training field. And it's, it's weird in a way, but he's my best friend. And it's as if we've, we've, we've never been apart. Just the way we laugh and joke around and are at training as well. And we played that first warm up game against my old club Perpignan. Obviously, it's it just was so smooth and, and flowing easily, so that was pretty cool. And then, yeah, obviously we're still still talking to each other and like in this situation, like what do you think could happen? Because obviously we've been apart for quite a while, and he's obviously learned differently, I've learned differently. Um, but being able to talk about it and live so close to each other, we actually go to training every day together because I pick him up. It's on the way to training, so in the morning we're talking and always together. Even the guys at the club, they always say to you, like, why are you guys always together and you you never apart, whatever? And then I've explained to them our whole history 
and they're like oh okay now they understand and everything and they and they just say oh it's it's your brother over there like the, the french guy's trying to talk a little bit of english and it's like oh the, the brothers you together um, which is actually quite funny and cool and in terms of the message from james's dad it did change uh it just said have fun enjoy the moments together and make the most of it and go on and win top 14 together and i think that that's the goal at the end of the day so they so yeah. are that is world class I'm, I'm a big fan of that and obviously playing nine and ten having such a good relationship will will hopefully show on the field too which is is good definitely one of the things i wanted to mention was sa rugby mag released a list of players a little while ago and you've spoken about this before where they listed players who are playing abroad from russia to japan to the french third league and you weren't on that list which is just nuts it makes no sense i don't know how you miss somebody like yourself off you're definitely on the radar now and i can't see them missing you off but are you hoping with going to racing that playing with the likes of a Ecclesia? that you're going to be or you're going to have a shot of being seen by the bot coaches and you'll be a bit more on the radar because you've been open and honest about wanting to play for the box still and take that leap to international rugby. Yeah, definitely. I think as any rugby player's dream is to represent their country and mine still is. Now a lot of people say to me, because I'm able to speak French and maybe I've picked up a few French cues and this and that, the way I act and respond to certain situations, they just all look at me. A lot of my Argentinian friends back in Perpignan, they always said, no, you're not South African anymore. You're French type thing, whatever. And so it's an ongoing joke that I'm French, but I'm not French because I don't have a passport or anything. So, yeah, I think playing for South Africa is it's a long, long, long-term goal um, since I've been a kid. wanted to represent the Proteas as a cricketer or the Springboks as a rugby player. So the goal the goal's still there set in mind, but I think now being at racing with the likes of the Springbok captain, other Springbok players like Trevor and Yakane, it's definitely more present. But at the same time, it's nice to have that goal. But if you don't put in the performances, then it's not it's not going to happen. And if you're not putting in the performances, that means you're not even going to play at club level. So it's not a pressure situation, as I said. It's just got to go out there, do your thing, have fun, and enjoy the moments. And I think that will all fall into place if it's meant to be. If it's not meant to be, it's not meant to be. But I just don't want to have any regrets at club level saying that I didn't give my best and I wasn't at my best. And I think it's it's more in terms of that situation. If it happens, it happens. If it doesn't, well, then it's not meant to be. So we'll see how it goes. It's a great attitude to have. And I was, I was thinking about this before you came on. It feels like fly halves are the center of the rugby universe at the moment. Because you've got Farrell's tackle, controversy, whatever you want to call it, Intermax's ACL injury, Sexton being banned pre-World Cup. You've also then obviously got Pollard and everything that's happening in the box set up. Focusing on the Pollard side of that, I thought it'd be really good to get a fly halves perspective. What are your thoughts on the bot coaches only selecting one specialist fly half in that World Cup squad? And do you think Rossi and Jacques potentially have a bit of a sneaky plan? I did see what Jock said about um, in terms of selecting a guy to sort of then fake an injury. I don't. I, I agree with him. I don't think that they would do that, um, just in terms of sportsmanship and also just in terms of a relationship towards a player. If if that had to happen, the player would lose confidence in the South African system from the get go, and you'd never get him back. He would leave. You go to 
Japan, France, England, wherever it is, and he would never come back. So I agree with what uh, Jock said. And in terms of one specialist fly obviously you've got Marty Libach, but Damon Willems has played fly his whole life um, at primary school, high school, uh, when he first started off his professional career as well. Cheslin Colby as well has played professional fly half. Obviously he's not a specialist fly but he's capable of doing it. I'm sure Fuff de Clark can step in and do just as good of a job. The guys have so much experience and and which is sort of what comes back to what Joe, Joe and Freddie Michelak were the, my racing coaches were saying that we learning about rugby today, how back in the day for them, you were a specialist wing, you were a specialist flower, specialist centre, you could only play one position. Now, rugby, you have to play different positions and you have to be able to play them at the best of levels. So you could potentially be playing nine, but end up on the wing. You'd be playing 10, play fullback. And even some tens who are big enough end up playing centre. I'm a big enough guy, so I end up playing fullback. But yeah, so I think I think the coaches have they know what they're doing. In, in terms of the squad they selected, they got guys that can cover many different positions as well. So I'm not too worried about that. Yeah, I think I think that's fair. I I kind of had the same opinion in terms of players needing to be very very versatile in the modern game, especially if you take into account red cards hias etc etc um you're you're gonna have nines playing 10 10s playing 12 sometimes your your back three players end up slotting into the midfield sometimes you've got and you'll know this in france you've got wingers who end up slotting into the back row which is there we go and vice versa sometimes uh, yeah. you've got back row playing onto the wing which is not absolute specimens now to me it feels like we've not seen the bot game or the bot game plan is probably the best way to put it in action yet. And we've definitely not kind of seen their set in stone 23 or who they perceive as their best 23. How do you think the box are going to go in the world cup? And do you think that they're, they're holding something up their sleeve in terms of the way they're going to be playing? I think if I had to look back to the rugby championship that they've just played now, we say we haven't seen the box play. They want to play. And I think we actually have, I think the best game is Australia up in Pretoria, I think that's how they want to play. I think so. Um, I might be wrong, but they had ball possession. They kept the ball. They ran it from their own 22. And rugby rugby rules favor the attacking team. But when I say attacking, you have to want to play rugby. You can't be wanting to kill it in terms of pick and go, pick and go on the halfway to try and kick the ball out and win the game. Because if you're doing that, refs will then tend to favor the defensive side, looking at guys if they're holding their body weight or if they're diving over, coming in from the side. So you have to want to play rugby and move the ball. You have to want to attack and look for the spaces. And I think that's where Ireland and New Zealand are pretty good. And France as well, when they're not kicking the ball away, they hold on to it. Ball retention is key. And I think a lot of teams have understood that. Um, So I think that game against Australia where you – putting 40 points on an international team. It's not because you're just kicking the ball away. Obviously, there's situations where you are. But if you look at possession of that game, I think South Africa hold on to the ball a lot longer than Australia. So I think in terms of game plan, it's going to be 70% Australian game plan. And then obviously, the, the, the next 30% will just be the kicking pressure type game where you're not kicking the ball away just to kick the ball away. You're kicking it to gain 20, 30 meters up and under pressure, counter-ruck, physical South African rugby. 
Yeah, I think that's interesting because I think the the possession based game plan has certainly come on, and and as you mentioned there, your your Ireland's and your France are very very good at that, and it almost feels like the All Blacks are starting to not copy the the Ireland game plan, but have taken something from that series that they had down there, which is which is really really interesting. Now, Tristan, we always like to end on a bit of a quick fire round. So first answer that or first name that comes to your head. Best player that you've played with or against? Daniel Carter. Best value or the loosest guy on a night out? Ooh, that's a tough one because I've been to quite a few teams, obviously. Oh, gee. You can give us two or three if you need to. Okay. Um, oh, wow. Okay. One would be the guy I played with in, in Bézier, um, Morgan Eames. Who now plays for Bourguin, uh in oh in Perpignan? Obviously, I was there for two years. There's quite a few guys. I won't mention any more names, but Morgan won't mind. I know I know he loves it, but some guys are a little bit more sensitive about it. But there's <laughs> there's definitely two or three in Perpignan, and then obviously James Hall. James Hall is he's a, a quiet guy, but as soon as you get one or two beers into him, different person. So James Hall definitely. We all know someone like that. Um, do you have any pre-match rituals or something that you have to do before a game? I used to shower, cold shower in the change room before warm-up. I stopped when I came to France because when it got to winter and it was minus five, outside, uh, it was too cold to do that. So I just I stopped and I haven't really got back into it. Right. And then what is the best game of your career? And it doesn't have to be a professional game. It could be a high school game. Oh, I like that. Um, best game of my career. I'll, I'll give one school game and one professional. I'd say the school game was when I was grade 10 playing for Kersney first against Glenwood, first team away in Glenwood. Um, bit of perspective, Glenwood were ranked number one in South Africa in 2012. Um and it was our second to last game of the season, I think. And obviously, everyone thinking they were going to smash us. And we ended up winning. Um, I scored a try and I got the match winning conversion as well. So I think for me, that was one of them. And then a the professional game, I think, was against Toulon last year. Pouring torrential rain, ugly game. And just had to be good under the high ball. Uh, kicking and so I think a different type of rugby game but I think that was probably my best game that's the stuff that the dreams are made of kicking the winning conversion in a in a, <laughs> yeah. in a game that nobody gives you any chance of winning it's stuff that that movies are made about exactly um, Tristan it's been class having you on you've been a great guest and, and it's been great to hear your story too thank you so much for your time and um, we can't wait to see you tearing it up for racing this year and uh, good luck good luck against Bordeaux this weekend. Thank you. I really appreciate it. And thanks for thanks for inviting me. And if ever you need again, I'm here. Steaks, Tristan Tedder, what a nice guy. Really enjoyed that. Yeah, no, 100%. Um, it was such a, a, a open dialogue that I don't think, uh, you know, you, you really hear from rugby players that much. So it was super interesting to chat to him and and especially my my biggest or favorite part of the conversation was that whole you know speaking and trying to get inside the minds of uh, professional athletes about going on loans the positives the negatives to it the, the mindsets as well so it was incredibly eye-opening so that, that was awesome 
great guy, lacquer guy. So super stoked to uh, watch him this weekend play for Racing. And yeah, hopefully he's uh, definitely going to start knocking on that uh, Springbok uh, door. I think he's he's an interesting prospect, if I'm honest. And we'll we'll see if Sia has a, a little word in, in Rossi's <laughs> ear at some point. I hope he will. Looking ahead to this weekend, how are you feeling for the Wales game? And this is a question, right, that I've been pondering probably since last week. Is it make or break for the box? Do we think this game is where 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 kind of we could see we, we could see things starting to happen? I think it's a I think this is a, a, a make or break in the sense of Wales is a bloody good team. They've always been a dark horse. They've always just managed to stay up there. And it is definitely a team that if you beat just before the World Cup, you are going to be very confident. Obviously, if we beat New Zealand next week, then our confidence is going to be unreal. But at the end of the day as well, you know, you do want to win that game. But if we, you know, just lose that game or something like that and we've and we've played well and we've at least shown dominance in a huge portion of the game, then it is what it is. But I do think that, you know, these two games are important considering the last few games we've had have not been, um, you know, that has, hasn't given us much hope for the World Cup or even any other people sort of talking on the Springboks as a, as a contender for the World Cup. You know, you have a lot of guys sort of picking the the Springboks going out in the quarterfinals, you know, so it is one of those things where they, they do need to start pulling it together. We've got the combinations. We've got our World Cup squad set now. And yeah, they just they just really need to hammer it home this weekend. We we can't lose to Wales this weekend. Looking at the games from the last two weekends, Scotland look class. Wales might be dangerous. They've chopped and changed their side quite a bit. Because the box look likely to pick what is close to their best teams over the next two weeks, and they've chosen a really strong team for this week, do they need to win both games to have that mental edge? Or do you think as long as they put in two really good performances, that'll be enough. I think they do. Like, like I said, I think that we do need to win the Wales game, 100%. I mean, Wales, um, that they, they are a good team, but they're a team that we should beat if, if we want to go straight to the finals and that, you know. Um, they obviously had a good performance against England in that first game, second game. How on earth they didn't manage to win when, when England had three yellow cards? It's just like, I can't even fathom that. So again, it's, it's a team that aren't too hot right now. They, they are showing glimmers of hope and it's Wales at the end of the day. They're always going to be a dark horse, but Wales, we need to beat, like I say, New Zealand is just, a, you know, if we lose, it's not the end of the world as long as it's a bloody good performance. Like even the last World Cup when we played, played them in that first game, you know, lost that game, but it was an incredible performance by the box. You know, sometimes it's just not your day and... That is what World Cups are about. You know, you only, especially when it's when it's um, crunch time and you're in those knockouts, it's all settled on one day. You can get to the final and be as brilliant as, as you can be in a World Cup and be, be in the, the top form ever, you know, for your country. But if it's just not your day, then it doesn't go your way and you don't get to lift up that trophy. So we just need to have solid, good performances. And But this weekend we need to win. Talking about that that England game, we've discussed this off air, but I think it's important that we put it out into the general public. Farrell's red card. Two questions. Definitely a red card, 
Second question, should he have been banned? Because I reckon he should have had at least three, four weeks. He, I think he should have had a six-week ban. And then the mitigation might have been that he hit the ball first and slid up. But given his history, his history of high tackles, I think he's minimum six weeks. He's been to tackle school already. Like, what, what more... What more can we do with the guy? No, 100%. And I think if you go based off the red cards that have been given out in the Heineken and, and the URC this last season, it's it's without a doubt it's a red card. And I don't know how it could be overturned or anything like that. And, you know, even even Dan Big had some comments on that as well, saying, you know, he's um, sort of uh, had, had, a, had a healthy uh, re- respect for him. But at the end of the day, he knows he, he gets very competitive and stuff like that. But bloody hell, everyone's competitive, you know what I mean? And And the fact that he's given up so many bloody high tackles like man you sometimes you got to face the music you can't just go lights on him just because it's oh you know it's just before the world cup we can't can't uh, suspend him for that long then he's going to be out of the world cup well then don't bloody have dirty plays mate like he's a dirty player at the end of the day he, he's brilliant don't get me wrong he's a really good player and you you always have that respect to him but at the end of the day he's a dirty player and he needs to be hauled over the coals for it. You know what I mean? You can't just, just because it's uh, Owen Farrell, you can't just say, oh, you know, it's bloody, you don't, don't suspend him. It's like rubbish, man. He needs to be suspended. Yeah, it sounds like World Rugby have appealed the decision. That's what the reports are today. So we'll see if that is actually the case. And if so, I think they need to look at that, that independent panel i mean it was three aussies you'd think if if anybody was going to haul an englishman over the coals it would be the aussies like come on like you you just we need to be fair there's a tongan player who was banned for five weeks for a tip tackle who's not going to make it into the world cup so you can't you, you can't have one rule for tier two nations and one rule for tier one nations especially because i think the reason that owen farrell has got off is because england have got a barrister which we'll know is like an advocate or an attorney back home who are on their books they've got a retainer for him so every time there's a an independent review or whatever he's the one that goes in represents their players whereas your tier two nations don't have the money to have a retainer with some high-flying attorney who can just come in and make their problems go away. So I think there needs to be, be a bit of a review of that process, if I'm honest. No, 100%. Taking it back to the bot game, sorry, got distracted there. The team itself looks really strong, and there's probably one or two changes away from being our strongest team. It'll be interesting to see that Klein and Sneeman combo in action as they know each other so well from Munster, especially because RG's likely to lead in the lead lead on the line out for the first time. The 9-10 combo of Hendricks and Libok should also be quite interesting. And I think Kanan is there to see if he can back up that performance against Argentina. Steegs, that bench feels a bit more like a bomb squad, don't you think? And and are there any selections in there that surprise you? Oh yeah, that that bench is definitely a bomb squad, man. Even uh, you know, you know, having Dwayne Fumilan coming off there is just absolutely that's dangerous, man. But yeah, I think there's there's definitely a, a, a couple sort of um, last chances in that to sort of answer some questions. I mean, you Colby's in the side no matter what. But, you know, Kanan Moody is doing extremely well playing. It's just unreal how young he is. Um, you, you'd think they, they are going to stick with Mapimpi and stuff like that. But, I mean, Kanan Moody goes scores a bloody hat-trick this weekend. It's like, how the hell do you leave him out of the starting lineup, you know? So that that's going to be quite interesting to see. 
and um yeah obviously that that lock pairing as well it's going to be going to be interesting you know there's such great successes last season those two so going to be nice going to be great to see marco marco pan starting come off your uh the, <laughs> the one that you had a few words to say I, about. i love him now i love yeah. him look yeah if you're wearing the green and gold we love you no matter what so um yeah i think i think it's going to be a good game and it's going to be a big test for for the guys and I, man, I'm just starting to get nervous. I'm starting to get antsy. I just want this World Cup to start because, man, I'm so amped and so excited. And, it, man, I just want the box to win. I just want them to retain the title and and take it all, bring it all home again. I think that you might be, I think the, the world might be in for a few surprises come this World Cup. I, I do think there's going to be a couple of shock results. I'm just hoping South Africa's not on the end of of one or two of those because that could be sad. Well, let's let's hope it's a shock result in the sense of South Africa winning because no one no one is backing South Africa to win this thing, you know. So we have to go in as underdogs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's that's probably not far off the truth. Getting into this weekend's picks, there's a couple of games happening, so we'll we'll run through them. I know exactly where you're going to go with this, but just. Just hit me with it. Ireland v England. Who's winning? Ireland. <laughs> That's just common sense, buddy. I think England's going to do it. Okay. I'm just saying that to piss you off. Get nodded. <laughs> Italy, <laughs> Italy v Romania. Uh, Italy. France v Fiji. France. I think France will take it, but I think keep an eye out on the, the flying Fijians because... They, the Fijian Drua makes up the bulk of that squad. And they've obviously been playing Super Rugby for the last couple of years. And actually their set piece looked really, really good against Japan. So I think they'll be better than people are expecting. And they're yeah, a dark horse in their pool, I reckon. I think Wales and Wales and Australia might have to keep keep one eye on them just for in case. Oh, I hope I hope they beat Australia, mate. <laughs> I hope they beat Australia. <laughs> I'm okay with the the flying Fijians. I love the flying Fijians. I'm fine with that. Final game, Wales v South Africa. I'm going to go South Africa. And I'm not even going to call a score. I'm just going to say give me, we need to beat them convincingly. I, You know what? I don't think it'll be a big margin. I, I think, I think, I think a lot of fans five will... Ten points. I think I was going to say the same thing. We're on the... We're, we're, we're thinking the same for once. Which is not good because you're always wrong. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> no I'm joking. Uh, but yeah, I think Wales, Wales seem to be a bit of a bogey team for us, especially recently. You look at that series last year yeah. where they won the second test. We've, we always struggle and it's never a really big margin. I think the, the biggest win we had was in that third game, which I think was 13 or 15 points. So... It could be a tight one, um, so plenty of beers needed this weekend to make me less nervous. Like I know, hundred percent. I gotta be, I gotta be on my best behavior because uh, I might be go watching with my with with my new girlfriend's dad, so I can't be screaming and yelling at the TV. <laughs> as long as he's not Walsh, you should be fine. Now nah, we're all good. Right. Well, on that note, thanks for joining us for another week of the pod we hope you enjoyed it if you haven't already then head over to our socials we'll be back next week to review what we hope will be a bock win over the welsh and then look ahead to the final warm-up game against the all blacks we'll catch you then